Welcome back to Ecolution. I know I've only done one episode so far, but what if for the second one we could actually go wild? I'm lucky to live quite close to one of the biggest public parks in Europe, the Phoenix Park, and I spend a whole lot of time there. But for all of that, it's increasingly rare for any of us to come into contact with wild animals day to day. What about you, Brain Trust? It's quite rare to see stuff in the wild. I've seen a couple deer before. I've seen some squirrels in parks in Dublin, and I've seen a few deer in the Phoenix Park. My mum was coming home from um, bringing me from training. Before she got there, she found the baby fox and it made her feel special. I saw a fox too. It was quite near the farm that I live in. I quite like foxes. The only worry was that we had chickens. Foxes kill and eat chickens, but they're only trying to survive. I've seen some squirrels before. Just chilling out. I was just like, oh, because I like squirrels. Um, I've seen a hedgehog in my back garden before. So my dad was going out to get some wood and then he nearly stepped on it and then we all just ran outside to look at it. And I, I was curious how it got there. It could be still living under my shed, but I don't know. I have seen lots of wild animals in my garden. Foxes quite a bit. And whenever I see a fox, I always get really scared because like they always like stare into my soul and then run away. I do like the red squirrels, no, no, one of my favorite. I like to see rabbits because they're small, they bounce around, and I, I usually never see rabbits around where I live, and it made me surprised to see them. I love bunnies so much. They're so cute, and I feel really happy when I see them. It might seem odd that our interactions with wild animals are so rare, but it's not surprising because the more we develop and build further into the countryside, the more we push commercial farming to deliver, the less space we leave for nature and the greater chance that the wildlife around us can get into trouble. Well, last autumn, we took a trip out to a very special place, which at the time was based in Navin, the WRI Wildlife Hospital. So my name is Aoife McPartland. I am the Education and Media Manager at the WRI Wildlife Hospital, which is where we are today. WRI stands for Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland, and it was set up over 10 years ago with the view to bringing a standardised care to wildlife rehabilitation. Our founder, Emma Higgs, was also a co-founder of the Seal Sanctuary. So when Emma set up the Seal Sanctuary, she obviously saw the need for the wider wildlife community for help and care and assistance and rehabilitation. What we started to do was offer courses to vet nurses and vets and the general public as well in wildlife rehabilitation. We invited vets over from the UK because we didn't have any vets in Ireland that were familiar with wildlife treatment and care. So that was going on behind the scenes. So nobody really knew we existed because we were kind of working behind the scenes in that regard. And then the need for the hospital became apparent about five years ago. We just kind of thought, no, there there needs to be a big space, you know, that can take all of these animals. There was nowhere for them to go. There was people doing amazing work with the rehabilitation around the country in their sheds and their houses and really really doing fantastic work but no big setup you know that could take the numbers and that could treat on the site and have all of that kind of stuff available so during the lockdown I mean you may have heard this I've spoken about this before where the numbers of people out walking in nature and kind of discovering nature and discovering wildlife the numbers just rocketed for wildlife casualties and there was nowhere for them to go so we put out an emergency appeal if anyone had a site or a premises that we could repurpose for our needs and this site became available to us through a friend of ours and um, this is what you see here today is the temporary 
Wildlife Hospital that just kind of met that emergency of the lockdowns. One of the great things about their temporary home in Navin was that it allowed an opportunity for at least one school to really get involved. Gardening committee? Hmm. Sounds like a green schools program to me. Hi, I'm Amelia and I'm from St. Anne's. We do lots of things to help animals and plant lots of flowers to help the bees and wasps and stuff. We did with our teacher. Quiva is a teacher in St. Anne's and she's also one of our volunteers at the hospital and her boyfriend Sean was one of our interns. Quiva loved what we were doing and she knew that her garden committee in the school would probably love what we were doing and they do a lot of nature and wildlife within the school as well. They're a great forest. So she decided it might be a nice idea to bring them down to the hospital and show them around and get them to build us something that would also work for our wildlife. We made a mini beast hotel here. Because we release a lot of things on site, so we now have a lovely bug hotel that's going to feed our bats and our birds, so it's great, yeah. I'm Sarah and I'm 12. The garden committee is a big group and it's really fun and we can do all like planting and we can do like building and like help this society, you know. I'm Ava, I'm in sixth. You have to be over second class to enter, so it goes second to sixth class. Hi, I'm Miss Moriarty and I'm the teacher of the garden committee. I set it up about four years ago when I started in the school just because I have a love of gardening and wildlife and I kind of felt like it was missing in the school. We're central to the town and we don't have any grass areas so we wanted to change that and give the kids a chance to explore the wildlife around them and to bring some more wildlife to the school. Even just from bringing it into our school, I can see that the kids are dying to learn it. Like They want to learn about their local wildlife, they want to learn about how they can help and how they can save, so giving them an extra outlet to do that is really beneficial. Hi, I'm Luke and I'm 10 years old. I sort of wanted to be on it for a while. It's just loads of adventures, like, and I'm adventurous. It's just fun. Luke mentioned a sense of adventure, and because it's unusual to come across a wild animal, it can be quite an adventure in itself. One time my dad saw a badger. It has the same patterns as a skunk and it has very sharp claws. So then it could lash onto its prey and dig around in the hole. And if I saw the badger, I would be terrified. I don't know why, I just would really not like it. You can't just go up to it. Oh look, it's a badger and pet it, but they're very territorious and ferocious. Hopefully we don't come across anything too ferocious today. But the WRI Wildlife Hospital is a busy place. What do you do here on a day-to-day basis? Well, the day starts at 7 in the morning when the night shift comes off. So we're here 24 hours a day. So there's somebody in the hospital all the time. Then the morning shift starts with medication, feeding, cleaning out of all of the 20 enclosures in the stable yard and then all of these hedgehog enclosures that you see here and the large waterfowl area and the aviary down the back. So... Mostly cleaning and feeding and medicating. And then obviously we will receive casualties throughout the day as well. So people can drop animals to the hospital. So they're triaged and then put into the ICU or sent to our vets. Or if our vets are on site, they'll treat them on site. And um, obviously the helpline is going all the time. But there's also then admin and education. And we do our little educational talks in the tent and that goes on as well. So it's, yeah, very busy. But... Where do all the animals come from? They've come from Northern Ireland, they've come from Galway, Kerry, Cork, everywhere, everywhere. Dublin, we see a lot from Dublin actually, and a lot from local local animals in Meath as well. 
We absolutely need more. We could do with at least one in every province with some smaller satellites as well. And there are rehabilitators working from home and that kind of thing do an absolutely amazing job. I mean, they really are. And they're like almost like smaller satellites for this hospital. You know, we, we would help them, they would help us and so on. And for example, our latest daughter, Cub, that came in, tiny little one came in also being bottle fed now. And that came all the way from Galway. And it was one of our rehabbers in Galway that you know organized the transport and we did a bit of a relay and we got it all the way across to the hospital so it's a really important network but i mean this is the biggest it's the only teaching hospital and you know the only one with the education facility and so on and we can take all the children and that kind of thing but our helpline since we opened in february has taken six and a half thousand calls so that'll tell you the need on the day we visited we were lucky enough to see lots of creatures being nurtured back to health but not all animals are as fortunate Unfortunately, we do get some animals that arrive and sometimes they have passed away on the journey and sometimes they do pass away within 24 or 48 hours of their arrival. But uh, we have a huge return rate, thankfully. It's about 60%, so it's really high. (laughs) I'm Louise and I'm 11. It's quite good that they're looking after animals who might not be alive if they haven't helped them. So people from all over Ireland come here to bring little animals to try to save their lives because they help animals over here. I'm Kayla and I'm nine. I'd love to work with animals when I grow up. The premises in Navin had lots of outbuildings, full of animals being well-minded. I was chatting to the guys there, they were asking about the stables and stuff, and I was saying how everything is getting cleaned out at the moment. Now we're almost finished, you can see this side is done. But everything comes out every day and it's all scrubbed out and all the dishes are scrubbed out and all the bedding is is changed and everything goes back in nice and clean. Not that the animals would care because they're very wild and they really, really don't care at all. But we keep them all clean. So in the first one, we have a fox and a badger. The next one has an otter in it and that otter came in as a tiny baby. When they come in that young, they don't go back to the wild until they would naturally part from their mother anyway. So it is a full 12 months with otters. And we were bottle feeding the otter when it came in. So it was about this size, which is the size of like a small cat. We could hold it in our arms. It was really tiny and we bottle fed them kitten milk or puppy milk. That's what we feed baby otters. And in fact, that's what we would feed most babies. So two of them came in, two brothers and they were found on a beach in Wexford. Now an otter will take about 12 months to rehabilitate, so they're costly in time and financially, but they are absolutely stunning creatures, so well worth every bit of effort, as they all are when they come in, every animal. But these guys are in here now, they're kind of teenagers. They are very, very, very wild. Sarah was asking me if we can pet or play with the animals, and obviously we can't. They're extremely wild animals. They're not at all used to people, so we don't interact with them at all, really, as little as possible, unless they're extremely sick and they require some extra hands-on, as they would when they're tiny babies like the otter. So in order to feed the otter, Sarah was wondering if we can't interact with them, how do we feed them, which was a really good question. So we have designed an enclosure whereby it's a two-way door system. So we can gauge when we go into the enclosure where the otter is inside and move the door accordingly. So whichever way, you know, if he's on the left, the door will go to the left and it will keep us safe and we'll just put the dish in and we will back out and close the door over to the right, if that makes sense. The otter that's in there is actually going out to soft release. So soft release is a site outside the hospital that is purpose built and it's out in nature and we bring them out where they wild up completely. So they get used to being outside, they get used to the smells and the sounds of being outside. We don't really have any interaction with them at all. We'll go in during the day and leave out fresh fish and we wash out the pools and all that kind of thing and we create a natural environment for them as natural as possible. And we'll feed them during the day, they'll come out in the evening so they've no interaction with us at all. 
The fox and the badger, they both came in as adults and they were both injured. So they're just recuperating in the stables. And all of the stables that you see here before you, we've about 20 in total, have all been repurposed to house different animals. Having that many animals to look after must mean the hospital has to employ a lot of staff, who I'd imagine should be pretty well paid, right? All volunteers, except the only person who gets a salary is the animal manager because obviously his knowledge is, is unprecedented, so we really, really needed him on board. So that's it, one salary, everybody else, all 95 of us are volunteers. I think it's amazing that they're helping the wildlife and that there's 95 volunteers. <laughs> you know, that's all you want to do is be a good role model. That's part of the job description. So if I can inspire anybody to pursue what they love, to look after the wildlife around us, that's, that just makes me feel great and I know a lot of these boys and girls like I've taught a good few of them in class as well and they were picked specifically because they just can't get enough of wildlife and they really want help so to be able to show them that that's possible on a day-to-day basis is just really nice for me. Volunteers are the lifeblood of so many community initiatives like this one and teacher Quiva had to start somewhere too. What started me working here was that it was local to me. I love wildlife and I just thought that it was the perfect thing to do as another outlet to enjoy a facility right next to me. And I do have the free time in summer, so it gave me a chance to go and do something meaningful. Well, I've been bitten by uh, one or two that uh, were a bit cheeky, but no, not really. Like, it's just lovely. Like, my first big experience when I was here a few weeks was I was able to feed one of the baby hedgehogs. And it was just so lovely to see it come in tiny, its eyes were still closed, and then to watch it grow and grow and grow and then become this wonderful, like, adult hedgehog. And now it, it needs less care, it's healthy, it's thriving, and it just needs to take time now to get to the right size so it can be released. It's really nice to see that. And she's not the only hedgehog fan in the house. I'm Amelia. I'm nine years old. My favourite native Irish wildlife animal is a hedgehog and I actually rescued a hedgehog and I brought it here. Well, we were walking in Tara, my mum and my sister, with my two dogs and then we found this hedgehog and he looked really sick. So I picked him up in my jacket and we brought him here. Then we left him here and my teacher who works here told me that who was looking after him and then I met him when we were putting up the swift boxes. I gave him a name. His name, I called him Mr Brambles. I heard somebody loves hedgehogs. This is our hedgehog area in here. So there's a new Yeah, look guys, there's a hedgehog in wait here if you want to have a little look. So I'm Nicholas. Well, it's a hedgehog, obviously. Apparently, he's fine. He's 613 gram. And I just learned that to hibernate in the winter, they must be around 600 grams. So he'll be all right. I'm just a volunteer here. Don't ask me too much. <laughs> They're all orphans. These five here, five of them are orphans. Some of them come in from dog attacks, some from car accidents and stuff like anything, really. So... They're just all donated through other people, people bring them in. Their nest was dug up by a dog and the mother ran and these guys were left behind. Britain, unfortunately, the hedgehogs have gone onto the red list, so they are endangered over there. But thankfully, so far, they're good here. We're okay at the moment, but we need to keep a close eye on them. The hedgerow is extremely important and that's how they got their name because they go along hedges and they're little hogs. So they were actually originally called um, hedge piglets, I think. And that's why we have to mind our hedgerows, you know, because obviously that's where they live. And also foxes and other animals use hedgerows as a guideline, you know, so it's a boundary and they follow them. So if our hedgerows aren't maintained and kept, and native hedgerows in particular, um, all the animals are suffering as a result. As the hedgehogs grow bigger and healthier, 
They near a time when they should be released back into the wild. Hedgehogs, as you may or may not know, are nocturnal, so they only come out at night. So generally when we check on these guys, they're fast asleep either under the log pile. These are the ones that will have come from outside the stable. So when we saw the little fellas being weighed earlier on, they're the ones that still need critical care. These are the ones that are on their next stage to release. So they're coming out here to get a feel for being outside and we'll send them on their way then in the next week or so as soon as they're ready. Even today was a rare occasion to get up close. Very carefully, with some native Irish wildlife, everybody has a favourite. My favourite wild animal would probably, since I learned a lot about the swifts, it'd probably be the swifts. I don't have a favourite. My favourite is a squirrel. I really like deer and hedgehogs. I love the fox. My granddad has a fox in his estate and I went out to see him. We are feeding him. My granddad brings out old bowls and dishes and puts meat in them and gives them remains of dinner. And he comes nearly every night, so when I'm down there, I go and see him. Me and my granddad call him Spuddy. My favourite native Irish animal is probably the red deer. They are very mystical and they are mostly in fantasy stories and those are the type of stories that I like to write. And I always have dreams about deer. My name's Charlie. Mine is the badger. Um, I just think badgers are cool. And my name's Hayden. I like the foxes because they stop the rabbits from overpopulating. I only know about Pine Mountain. I suppose it looks like a tree cat. The, the one lizard, the river Paris lizard. Though I'm quite fond of deer and foxes. Grey squirrels aren't that good. and um, I like red squirrels. Grey squirrels sometimes move red squirrels out of their own territory. Red squirrels are native, grey squirrels aren't. Red squirrels don't know about the pine marten and will run away as soon as they see them. Grey squirrels aren't as wary because they don't aren't native. I like owls, their big eyes, and they're just like, Ooh. So, Aoife, do you have a favourite? I probably shouldn't have a favourite animal, really, let's be honest. But <laughs> I'm supposed to say them all. But probably the fox, the hedgehog as well. Very, very cute. Always kind of surprising. The hedgehog is a very surprising little creature because I think people see them snuffling along and don't really realise just how agile they are and how clever they are and they can swim and they can run really fast and they can climb and you know they're just they're really fascinating interesting little creatures and the fox for me just embodies wild I think when you look into a fox's eyes it's hard to beat that intense wildness for want of a better word in their face yeah they're absolutely stunning my favourite native Irish animal is the red deer our national animal Despite the fact that almost all their staff volunteer, the wildlife hospital does cost money, and not a small amount. The cost and time required to save some of our most commonly orphaned wild animals. Robin and blackbird chicks, 30 euro for three weeks. Otter cub, 2,000 for 12 months. And we do have to mind an otter cub for a whole year when we get them, because that's how long their mom would mind them in the wild. So um, there was a fundraiser recently called Running Wild where four of our volunteers ran 500 kilometres and they raised exactly 2,100 euro and the very week they finished we had an otter come in and that just shows you that all of that work 
will go towards an otter, it will give it a chance, but it does mean that we need lots of donations to keep these animals going because I know similarly like badgers, they need to be with us for at least five months and they're 500 euro and it does it does all add up. One otter will cost about 2,000 euro in the 12 months. We've had four babies come in, so that's, you know, obviously 8,000 euro is a lot of otters, a lot of money. It's just because they eat such a huge amount of fish and that's what people wonder, like how can it cost that much? But they, when they come in, if you bear in mind, they're very, very small. So the puppy milk itself is expensive. They're sometimes under infrared heat lamps as well. So just the electricity side of it is quite expensive. Cygnus, 200 for five months. And then you could come right down to the likes of a baby bird. So if we got a fledgling bird in, which is a kind of semi-feathered bird that can't quite fly, very, very young, we could take that maybe for about four weeks. So that bird might cost about 30, 40 euros. So there's a huge difference depending on the time span, you know. So it'll range anything from, say, 30 euro right up to 2,000, depending on what we have and what they require as well. Because obviously an animal that comes in in a snare is going to require surgery. So that's a really, really big cost for us as well. And unfortunately, we've already had six snared animals come into the hospital. So, you know, that, that's a lot of surgery and it's a lot of pain and it's a lot of anguish and it's, it's difficult for the staff to see as well. It's very upsetting. But look, thankfully, all six of them recovered and went on their way. It seems pretty expensive to look after some animals. Have any of you ever come across an injured creature? Apart from being hit by cars or having fallen from nests, some animals can get trapped in snares laid out for that purpose. But what should you do if you came across an injured Some snares are actually legal and others not. We do have a wildlife crime reporting app, so we kind of always say to people, if you're out and about and see anything at all that looks suspicious, it's well worth reporting it to the National Parks and Wildlife Service, even your local guards. Or our app is called PAW, P for Peter, so PAW. And uh, you can look that up and download it. And it's a bit like the, the kind of, you know, the litter, say it, see it app. It's the same kind of thing. So you can just put in your location, say what you've seen, and it'll go through to the database, which is NPWS and the guards, and they will go and check it out. We have a helpline that operates nationally. People who will go out and respond to that call all over the country. We have a huge network of volunteers, which is amazing. So really, that's the first thing to do, is ring our helpline, which is on our website. I mean, it's 0818 That's the first thing to do, and we'll advise what to do after that. There are so many reasons why a wildlife hospital is needed, but we asked Aoife what the biggest threat to their survival was. People, unfortunately, habitat destruction through building, ripping out trees, hedgerows, all of that kind of stuff. Litter is a huge, huge problem. We see a lot of animals coming in with heads stuck in coffee cups. You know, the beer can plastic things wrapped around wings and legs and constriction injuries from face masks. Birds, mostly, these things end up in the water. We have such a negative impact, unfortunately, on our wildlife in so many ways. I think that's the biggest problem right now is us, and we just need to be very, very aware that we coexist with these animals. We have to live side by side, you know. We wondered... Is climate change affecting Irish wildlife yet? I don't think we've seen anything really unusual around climate change in terms of animals that way. What we do notice, though, is the impact it is having on their behaviours and their patterns. So I suppose in terms of the likes of hibernating animals, the winters are milder, so hibernation is changing. How long they hibernate, when they hibernate, that's definitely, definitely changing. Also then the drier weather, the likes of swallows and House martins, you know, their nests are collapsing because they're so dry. You wouldn't have seen that maybe before. And also the migratory birds, their patterns are changing too with climate change. And flooding, that's another thing. 
animals getting washed out of their dens and out of their nests and that kind of thing from flooding. They're all things that we're definitely seeing more and more of. Our environment is constantly changing, but that loss of habitat and increase in our activity does have an impact. So, what's the state of Irish wildlife right now? Irish wildlife is okay, but we have been losing some birds. Curlew in particular you would have heard about, so there is there is some bird decline for sure, some of those numbers. And in fact, one bird that I think people aren't aware of that is now on the red list is the herring gull. They're all those gulls that we have out there. It's the one that people are most familiar with, the one that steals the chips. And that's why people think there's loads of them. But they're actually endangered. And the reason you see them, you know, around people's chips and all of that kind of thing is that they're being forced away from their own environment and there's overfishing going on and they're being encroached upon all the time. So they're just gathering in areas now. They've learned to scavenge, you know, they've had no choice. We released recently 120 gulls that we had taken in. Some of them came in as eggs and we incubated the eggs and hatched them and hand reared them and then put them out into this large waterfowl area that you see here, this enclosure that we've built. They've gone on their way and these are the last, I think we've about 50 or so in here ready to go. So these will all be getting released quite soon as well. The public support has been amazing and most of our volunteers are local. We've been very, very lucky. We are so grateful to Aoife and all of the volunteers at Irish Wildlife Hospital for welcoming us down. Plus, the brilliant kids from at St Anne's with their teacher, Quiva, who showed us once again how important green initiatives in schools are. We asked Aoife, what would an ideal future be for the hospital? The ideal is to have an education and teaching and rehabilitation hospital, whereby we would have like a lecture theatre where we can invite vets and vet nurses and the general public and anyone with an interest in where we can educate them on how to treat and rehabilitate wildlife. With a visitor centre, an education centre, a wild schools programme and obviously a state-of-the-art rehabilitation and hospital. Yeah. But it would cost a few million, so yeah, we really could do with some government assistance for sure. Since our visit, the hospital has actually found a permanent home. We contacted Eva last week and they are thrilled to report that its future now lies in Mornington, East Meath, on the Boyne Estuary. And now they have that home, it's more important than ever that they be supported. We finished by asking Eva how people could help. Well, we always need volunteers, number one. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. Like I was saying, we you know, six and a half thousand calls to the helpline since February, so always need volunteers answering the phones, rescuing, transporting, and here at the hospital as well. So that's really probably the main thing that most people could do. And then funding, funding, funding. <laughs> we really, really need it. My name is Neo and I'm nine years old. I think it's important that somewhere like this exists because some animals, if they're just out in the wild by themselves, they're predators and they might eat them. And if they're babies and their parents abandon them or something, they will just be there. And it's important that we have people that care for them, that, that just take them in. I want to like, like save animals too, like this. Oh. I've always wanted to say this. Even if it was obvious from the topic, but no animals, wild or otherwise, were harmed in the making of this episode of Ecolution. In fact, a few even got better. See you next time! Thanks as always to our brilliant Brain Trust members, Sophie, Max, David, Zach, Oren, Cashel, Juno, Sive and Peggy for being a part of today's show. If you'd like to join in or just want to get in touch, you can email junior at rte.ie. Thanks also to Aoife O'Neill for edit assistance. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cochran for RTE Junior Radio. This is our RTE Junior Radio!